Hello friends! Thank you for joining us and making us a part of your Lenten experience. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will be examining Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb offered as a sacrifice for our redemption. We invite you to join us this season through our Lenten study journal and in our Wednesday and Sunday gatherings. You can find more information on our website at ccgf.org. Here is the message from this past Sunday. Grace and peace to you. Of course, the world is continuing to watch what is transpiring in Ukraine, and we find ourselves really taken by this. There's some images on the screens that give us a sense of the horrific nature of war. We alternately find ourselves to be inspired by the courage of the Ukrainian people, but also troubled by the prevalence of evil and the appearance of evil in the world. It's a strange mix between the two, and as we take this all in, there are some of us who wonder, is this the beginning of World War III? There are others who, who maybe pointedly ask themselves, is this the first step of a person becoming a world dictator? Is Putin an antichrist? Is he the antichrist? Those questions all come to mind. You know, I, I would think that for a person of faith, there is a seeking of the big picture of what God is trying to accomplish in these times through all the events of the day. That's part of what's happening right now. And the, and the truth of the matter is this, we, we don't grasp, let's be honest, we don't grasp the big picture of what God is, is trying to accomplish. I mean, how could we? We're finite. These, these feeble hands, this very human life, how can we hope to take in all that God's trying to accomplish in the world right now. It's difficult. But we try to do this. We're straining to see it, particularly in times such as these with so much difficulty in the world. You know, we've been talking about the Lamb. We're in the midst of this series called Life of Christ, the Lamb. And through the past three weeks, now into the fourth week, we've been looking at the person of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. And you may be finding, straining to see, see yourself, straining to find the Lamb in the midst of all that's happening, amid all the chaos, amid all the destruction, where is this gentle lamb? Well, if you are straining to, to make sense of the times or to see the lamb, I want to point you to this. Listen, you can see the hope of the world. You can find the lamb of God in the scriptures, in the pages of the Bible. I would encourage each of you no matter if you consider yourself to be a person of faith or if you're just kind of meandering, you're not sure if you're a person of faith, not sure you would call yourself that, I encourage you as you wrestle with big questions and you wonder what God is doing in the world, would you look to the scriptures? Would you open the Bible? And, and I trust that you will find a sense of hope. You will find a sense of clarity and peace about the world and where things are headed as you look at the truth of the scriptures. And, and I want to remind you not only of that, but draw your attention in particular to today. What we just heard Jeremiah read for us, the book of Revelation. You know, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, let me tell you this, was written to encourage people in every age of history. That's important. It's written to encourage, not to discourage, not to bring about fear. Let me just tell you a few things about Revelation. I would hope that we could teach a class on this at some point at Christ Church that you could participate in. 
So I'm going to give you a really high-level view, but I just want to point out a couple of things that will maybe help you understand the book of Revelation, which can be very complex and difficult to understand whenever you dive into it on a personal level or even this morning through this sermon. So the first thing I would tell you is this. The book of Revelation belongs to a very unique genre of literature, and that genre is that of apocalypse. Yes, there's a genre of literature called an apocalypse. Now, I'm guessing that most of you, whenever you pack your bags to go to the beach and throw a book into your suitcase, you don't say, you know, I think I'm going to read an apocalypse over this vacation. Probably none of you have done that. An apocalypse is kind of almost a dead genre of literature. In fact, in the scriptures, it's really unique. There's only one other book, and that's parts of Daniel that also belong to this genre. And you know this, whenever you read genres of literature, you have to approach them in different ways. Because Revelation is an apocalypse, that means we should approach it in a certain way. Here's a couple of things I'll tell you about an apocalypse. First of all, of course, in the apocalypse, there are forecasts of spiritual um, turmoil. That's one of the things that you would see in an apocalypse. You'll also see mythical images that are rich in symbolism. Symbolism is an important part of understanding an apocalypse. I could say more. But, but here's what we know about Revelation. Revelation is an apocalypse that uses symbols to communicate a vision of heaven and an exalted Christ. Symbolism is important. You know, and, and the cool thing about symbols is this. Symbols never lose their meaning. Symbolism never loses its meaning. Every generation since the time of the writing of the book of Revelation has had to contend with their own Babylons. Every generation has had to contend with their own Antichrist. I mean, imagine living in the 40s, uh, 1940s that would be. Wouldn't you consider probably, wouldn't you think that Hitler was an Antichrist? Of course you would have. Every generation, all the generations beyond that, before that, have had to face their own Babylons and their own Antichrist. And here's what the hope of the book of Revelation is, that we would see the exalted Jesus. The really big Jesus. The magnificent Jesus who gives victory to his overcomers. The Jesus who vindicates his people. Here's how I would sum up what, what today's message is really about. And really, I think ultimately the book of Revelation is about. That's this one sentence. Christ will return. Christ will return to establish his kingdom. As you process what's happening in Ukraine as you process the events of your own life. This is our great hope. Christ will return to establish his kingdom. Write it down. You could place a large bet on a large sum of money. It will happen. He will return to judge evil. He will return to take away the chaos. This is true, and you can lean on it. So we're in Revelation, as I said earlier, and Jeremiah's read a portion of Revelation 5 for us. Just a quick summary of the book of, of Revelation to this point. Quick summary, gosh, that doesn't seem like that's even fair for me to try to do, but this, let me say this. In Revelation chapters one through three, we see the exalted Jesus, the big Jesus, the magnificent Jesus, giving encouragement and also warnings to the seven churches of Asia. That's what we see primarily in, in chapters one through three of Revelation. And then in Revelation 4, we see the author 
of the book of Revelation, a man we know as John, who's summoned to heaven and has this great vision of the throne of God. So that's the first four chapters. Now we're in chapter five. And and remember, the question we're looking at is this. The question is, what is the big picture? What is the big picture of what God wants to accomplish in the world? I believe that chapter five addresses this. So let's go and look at it. We're going to start right at the beginning. I'm going to do something that's really ambitious. We're going to try to get through the entirety of, of chapter five of Revelation. Let's see if we can do it. There's a lot that we could talk about. We won't talk about it all, but we're going to talk about some of it. I will mention this, by the way. If you have your, your Lenten study journal, many of you are, are journeying with us through devotionals and Wednesday nights and also Sunday mornings. I just want to give you a note that this message is out of place now. I changed the order on us. This message was supposed to be next Sunday, but it's actually today. We flip-flop those two. Let's dive into it. Chapter 5 of Revelation. If you have your Bible open, you can look at the screens, smartphone, tablet, whatever it might be. Let's start in verse 1. The writer says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. So you hear mention here of a scroll with seven seals on it. So let's show you a picture of what this would look like, okay? Back in ancient times, some legal documents, leave this up there for a moment, or deeds were, were witnessed by seven different witnesses. And those seven witnesses would each attach a personal seal in sealing wax to verify their stamp on it. No one could open the document. No one could open a document like that one you're looking at until it was officially opened at the appropriate time by the appropriate person, okay? So you can take it off the screen now. The deed or the legal document that we're seeing here depicted in Revelation 5 is one that contains the hope of the world. That's what's contained on this particular scroll. And it's bound by these seven seals. And it can't be opened until the appropriate time by the appropriate person. And so because there's this great hope in the the midst of a world where there's such great desperation, and that was present at the time that this book was written. Think about Nero. Think about some of the awful people, leaders, who were in power in those times. Because of this, there was a sense of desperation then, and I would dare say there is a sense of desperation today. Where can we find the hope of the world? This all led John, the writer, to do what? To weep. He says, because the scroll with the hope of the world could not be opened, it says that he wept and he wept. Why was he weeping? Why was he so down? Because he's looking for the one who is worthy. Who's worthy? If this is the hope of the world, it can only be opened by the right person at the right time, then who? He's desperate to find God's hope in the midst of difficult times, who is worthy to open this legal document, this deed that, that contains the hope of the world? Now, don't you feel like John sometimes? Don't you look out into the world and feel desperate 
and think, wow, things are spinning out of control. It certainly feels like that during the past couple of years with everything that's taken place. And you might wonder, where is the one who can bring hope? Where is the one that, that, can, that can fix all of this? As, as conflict ramps up in the world, as uncertainty grips the world, as people are unsettled, where can we find the hope? Who can make this right? Who is worthy? Do you feel the same way? Do you, do you, are you picking up what John's putting down when he says he wept and he wept? Because he looked in the world and he said the world needs hope. Who can bring such hope? Don't you feel like John sometimes? Listen, the scrolls are, are Christ's deed. They're his legal document to all that the Father has prepared for him, promised to him because of his sacrifice on the cross. That's what these legal documents, that's what's on this scroll. It's all that God has prepared and promised to Jesus because of who he is. And the deeds, if deeds convey legal rights, then there is a deed which contains the promise of the kingdom of God to the world. And this is what symbolically the book of Revelation is depicting here. And this deed can only be opened by the appointed person, none other than Jesus Christ. This deed can, can have the hope of the world for us. No one in the universe can be found worthy apart from him to break the seal and open the scroll. And so I remind you as we dive deeper into this, the lamb will return to establish the kingdom. It's on the scroll. The hope of the world is there. As you look out into the world and you consider everything that's taking place from Ukraine to pandemic to America and you see the strife and you see the hurt, you see the pain in your own life, we have this great hope that we are holding on to and it's the hope that on the scroll, on the scroll, written is the hope of the world and Jesus Christ is the one who can open it. Let's look at this. What does this return mean to us? We're going to see it as it plays out here in Revelation 5. Let's pick back up in verses 5 through 7. So now you know we've got this scroll, and the scroll is to be opened only by the one who is worthy. So pick up in verse 5, and it says, One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So here we see it, okay? What does this mean to us? What well, means this? Jesus has all the power and all the wisdom. That's what I think you could take away from verses 5 through 7 here. Jesus has all the power and all the wisdom. Let me show you why. It's all about who he is. And we see at least three ways he's described here, and we're told who Jesus is. The first thing we see is that he is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I underline that in my Bible. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. This is rich with meaning. If you want to go back and do a little personal Bible study this week, you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Today we're in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Well, this points all the way. When they're calling the Lion of Judah, it points all the way to the book of Genesis at the beginning. Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10 specifically, where Jacob, the patriarch, 
prophesies over his son Judah. And he pictures Judah as a lion's cub and all who would come after him. And he says this, that from the tribe of Judah would come the Messiah. And so we hear this term, the lion of Judah. Well, what comes to mind when you think of a lion? Well, what comes to mind is, is king and courage and power and victory and sovereignty and dignity. Listen, that's right. That's what you should think because that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the lion of Judah. And let me tell you this. This is what the scripture says. The lion of Judah has triumphed. That's what verse 5 says. The lion of Judah has triumphed. I underline that as well. That is a key verse in the book of Revelation. That may sum it all up in one fell phrase, one fell swoop, one phrase. That Jesus is the lion of Judah and the lion of Judah is victorious. Listen, this book of Revelation is not written so that you will become a prepper. You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes that's what we feel in, this, in, this, in these times and what's, what's going on in the world. No, the book of Revelation is not meant to, to make you fearful. It's not written in order to make you feel afraid of what, what might come or what's going to happen or uncertain. It's actually meant to give you certainty and hope. And here's the hope with everything that's going on. The hope is that Jesus is the Lion of Judah and he will be victorious. He is the King he is powerful, and it all belongs to him. This book is written to give us hope to persevere because the Lion of Judah is victorious. So the first thing we see here is that Jesus has all the power and all the wisdom. He is the Lion of Judah. But then he's called something else. It says here that he is the root of David. The one who takes the scroll is referred to as the root of David. Now, the root of David. Let's, let's refer to another phrase here. Jesus in the New Testament, is often referred to even by himself as the son of David. In fact, if you look at Matthew 1, the very first verse of the New Testament refers to Jesus as the son of David. And that's a title that's used to convey that his kingship, the fact that Jesus is king, comes from a genealogical record. There's a genealogy to who Jesus is. There's an earthly way of, of understanding his kingly title. But it's more than that because Jesus is also not only the son of David, he is the root, the root of David. In other words, the line of David, the line of David came into existence through Jesus. He is the root of David. Jesus is eternal. This is hard to wrap our head around. Jesus stands outside of time. He's referred to in the scriptures as the ancient of days. Listen, he is the true king. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Root of David. He's the true King. And then it refers to him in a, in a word that we're familiar with in this series. He is the Lamb. We've been talking about Jesus as the Lamb. In fact, our, our key verse for this series is John 1.29. We'll put it on the screen again for you. Hopefully you've memorized it by this point. Where John the Baptist proclaims, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've said that literally that means, look, the Lamb that God sent who picks up and carries away the sins of the world. Pastor Mike gave us a great illustration last week that we all remembered when we took our trash to the curb this week, that Jesus picks up 
the sin of the world and carries it away. What a great truth. He is the lamb. He is the lion. He is the lamb. He is the root of David. All the wisdom, all the power belong to him. And listen, he is the lamb, as the scripture tells us, that has been slain. That's how he's pictured in Revelation 5. A lamb who has been slain. Well, that takes us back to the very first week of this series. We looked at Leviticus 4 and the ancient system of sacrifice practiced by the Jewish people. And there we would see graphically, disturbingly, it was hard for us to stomach this picture of animals being sacrificed. What does that point to? It points to Jesus, who is the lamb. And was he slain? He sure was. On the cross, he was slain for sin. His body was broken. His blood poured out. Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain. But he's not only the lamb. He's not only the lamb who was slain. Listen, it says in Revelation 5, he is the lamb who was slain, who is standing. Do you hear that? He is standing. What's that tell us? It points to his resurrection. Jesus is not in the grave. He's not on the cross. Jesus lives. He's resurrected. He is standing in their midst. Jesus is the lamb who was slain, who is standing. It's powerful. And this gives us hope because Jesus has all the power and Jesus has all the wisdom. Furthermore, I'll tell you this. You know, you see, this gets into our symbolism, the book of Revelation. You see here, there's this interesting picture. It sounds kind of unusual that the lamb had seven horns. That's weird. The lamb had seven eyes. Also weird. And there were seven spirits. What does all this mean? Remember, in order to understand the, this apocalypse, the book of Revelation, you got to understand that there's, there's symbolism here. And those eyes and those spirits and those horns have meaning. The number seven is attached to each of those things. And seven, whenever we're in the scriptures, speaks to completion. It speaks to perfection. And so we see seven, that tells us perfection or completeness. On the other hand, there's horns. Horns represent power. Whenever you see horns in, in, in the book of Revelation, it's speaking of power. Whenever you see eyes, it's speaking to wisdom. Whenever you see spirits, it's speaking to presence. And so if you put seven horns together, what does that mean, seven and horns? Well, it's perfect power. The lamb has perfect power. And when you see seven eyes, what's that mean? It means perfect wisdom. That the lamb has perfect wisdom. And when you see the seven spirits that are surrounding all of this, what's that mean? It means perfect presence. Do you see? This is what this means. It's speaking to who the lamb is. The lamb who was slain, who is standing, has perfect power and perfect wisdom and perfect presence. This is omnipotence. This is omniscience. This is, this is omnipresence. It's all these things. You know, we, we hear talk right now in all the media about the war chest of Russia and, and their arsenal and all the weaponry they have. Listen, let me tell you this. The lamb has all the power. Not Russia. The lamb has all the power. We find ourselves in our own lives unsure of what to do. We find ourselves paralyzed sometimes in our personal lives. Listen, the lamb has all the wisdom. All the wisdom. It all belongs to him. Have you forgotten in your life the power of the Lamb? Have you forgotten? I think even those who would say they trust in Christ, that they belong to Him, we forget the power 
of Jesus. He has perfect, not just power, he has perfect power. You know, I wonder if in some way you have seemingly, it seems to you, it might seem to us, taken the power in life and put it in your own hands. That's not where it belongs. The power belongs to Jesus. Would you give him the power in, his, in your life? I guess this is where I'm supposed to sing, Jesus, take the wheel. It's true. He has all the power. He has ultimate power, perfect power. Would you give the power back to him this morning? That might be your action step. You're trying to solve the problems of your life. You're trying to figure out what's happening in the world. Why don't you give the power to the one it belongs to. Why don't you trust in his power? He who has perfect power. He has all the power. He has all the wisdom. This is who Jesus is. Before I move off this section, I want to show you verse 6 because there's something important in verse 6 that will also give you hope, and that's this. It says, I saw the lamb looking as if it had been slain. We talked about that. And he was standing at the center of of the throne. I already said this, but I want to say it again. Jesus is not in the manger. Jesus is not in Jerusalem. Jesus is not on the cross. Jesus is not in the grave. No, where is he? He is at the center. He is standing at the center on the throne. What an encouragement to Ukrainian Christians. What an encouragement this must be to Russian believers. What an encouragement to anyone who is suffering. The lamb is at the center. He's in the middle of it all. The lamb has defeated the enemy. The lamb is victorious. He's working all things together for the good of those who love him. He is at the center. He is in the middle. And let me tell you, he suffered. He was slain. The lamb suffered too. And God has turned his suffering into glory. And he'll do that for the Ukrainian Christians. He'll do that for the Russian believers. He'll do that for any of you who are suffering. He will turn your suffering into glory. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. That's who the Lamb is. Listen, I was at a, a function uh, at a really big house at one point, And there were church leaders from all around the city gathered, really all around the country gathered. It was a really neat gathering. I felt like a little boy in wee pants there among all these people. And there was one particular person there who is a well-known, long-time ministry leader in his 90s. And everyone was really, you know, talking, like, do you see who's here? And, and pointing to this person. And, and someone in the midst of this gathering took a chair and they placed it in the center of this great big room and they asked this, this man of wisdom who's followed Jesus for so many years to come and sit in the middle and share with us, to share wisdom with us, and to share testimonies. Listen, there are some of you who need to take a chair, so to speak, in your life and put it right in the middle of your existence and say, Jesus, come sit in the chair. Come and speak to me. Come and lead my life. I need your wisdom. I'm helpless apart from your power. Will you come and take your place, your rightful place, and be the center of my life? Jesus is in the middle of it all. Jesus is the center of it all. He wants to be the center of your life. Oh, would you invite him to take that place today? Mm, man, let's keep going here. We gotta keep going. There's a lot to cover still. Hang with me, please. Let's go to verses eight through 10. Back in Revelation 5. We see Jesus has all the power. He has all the wisdom. 
He is at the very center of it all. And then we pick up in verses 8 through 10, and it says this, And when he, the lamb, had taken it, the scroll that contains the hope for the world through, through Jesus Christ, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp. And they were holding golden, bowl, golden bowls of, full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Wow, there's a lot here. I wish I could dig in on this more. We need like bonus coverage. Look, there, there's golden bowls of incense. Let me point your attention to these. Golden bowls of incense. You know, incense that, that the sweet smell rises. And what it's saying here is that the prayers of those who belong to God through Jesus Christ, their prayers are like sweet incense before God's throne. You know, I've heard that the Ukrainians have adopted Psalm 31 as their psalm, and they read this aloud. In fact, you could go on YouTube and you could find Ukrainians in bomb shelters reciting Psalm 31 like a prayer like a bowl full of sweet incense rising before the Lord, I believe. Let me read you two of the verses. Here's what, here's what Psalm 31, verse 21 22 says. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. When I was in a city under siege, in my alarm I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. What a great prayer. What a, what a faithful prayer. And here's what I know. Revelation 5 tells us this. These, these prayers that are like incense and golden bowls are not forgotten. Their prayers are not forgotten. They are heard by God. Your prayers are heard by God. You're not forgotten by Him. Here's what I would give you. A practical step this week. What if you were to pray this week? You know, I know the prayer could be a struggle for so many. What if this week you're to say, you know, I'm going to spend time praying every day. Could you make that commitment? To pray every day. Perhaps you pray for the Ukrainians. Perhaps you, you, you pray over matters of your, your family. Perhaps you pray that there would be a person that you know in your midst who becomes one of the, the saints, one of those who belong to God through, through faith in Jesus. Whatever it is, would you commit to pray? I think that could be a practical step you could take, take along this week. And as you pray, you could be mindful of this. Here's what I believe we see in Revelation 5, verses 8 through 10. Jesus has overcome it all. He has overcome it all. All of it. He's overcome it. And in light of this, they worship Him. They worship Jesus in light of Him. You know, what it means to worship is to ascribe worth. They ascribe worth to Jesus. They sing, you are worthy. He is worthy. Why? Because he has purchased for us who were enslaved to sin, not by gold, not by silver, as we learned last week, but by his blood, through his life. 
He has purchased for us salvation. He is worthy. And so heaven sings of the cross. Heaven sings of the blood. You know, I read about a denomination um, that at one point removed from all of their hymnals any reference to the blood. Well, let me tell you, that hymnal can't be used in heaven because in heaven they sing about the cross and they sing about the blood of Jesus. We're going to sing about the blood of Jesus here. You can't use that hymnal. We sing about the blood because that's who Jesus is. He is worthy because he gave his life. He gave it all. And they sing a new song. This was like arena rock, I bet. They sing new song. In heaven it says a new song. And this new song is a song of action. I love it. It's a song of action. Look at the last verse, verse 10. It says, you've made them to be a kingdom and priest. You've made them, a king, uh, made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. A kingdom of priests. You know, we talk about in this church, every member ministry. Every member ministry. In other words, it's not just the people on the platform who are called to ministry. Our understanding, and it comes from Revelation 5, is that we're all called to ministry. We're all called to be priests, in a sense, where we are drawing people and leading them to know Jesus Christ. I want to give you a really practical way you could do that this uh, next few weeks. We've got these little cards. I like to call them invest and invite cards. Because they're not just cards you go put on someone's windshield or lay at a table. They're meant to be used with human inter interaction where you invest some time, whether at the coffee shop or in your neighborhood or someone who comes to your home. And as you get to know a person, you say, you know, I'd really like to, to invite you to come to our church this Easter in worship. All the information is right here. Would you take this? I hope you'll come. I'll, I'll, get, I'll pick you up. I'll wait for you in the Minton Commons. I'll meet you there. I hope that this week, as people who are a part of the ever-member ministry of this church family, that you would share the hope in a real simple way that lives in you, the hope of the one who has all the wisdom, all the power, it's at the center of it all, and you would invite someone to come and worship with us this Easter, just in a few weeks here. And here's what you might do. You can grab some of these, they're out there in the comments. And I encourage you to pray and say, God, would you, would you show me some people? Would you put me in, in communication, in relationship with some people who I can make this simple invitation to. Who I can, can draw in and say, hey, would you come and worship the King of Kings? Let me tell you about the one who's all the power. And you make this simple invitation. And here's what will happen. When you say that prayer, when you, when you pray in that way, God is going to have you pulling these out of your pocket and having conversations and saying, hey, you should come to Christ Church this Easter. It's going to be really cool. We'd love to have you. Grab some of these. Every member ministry. This is a song of mission. We are called to be a kingdom, a kingdom of priests who serve our God. This is one practical way you can do that. This is also a missional song. It's a song that has mission inherent in it, and, and it speaks of every tribe. I love it. Every tongue, every people, every nation. Here's what God's desire is. God's desire is that this message of the Lamb who's at the center of it all, who has all the power, who has all the wisdom, that it would be for people all over the world. That this message of redemption, this message on the scroll of hope would be taken to the world. That's what this is meant to be. So when you take your cards, is this card for people who just look like you? No, it's for people who don't look like you. Is this card for people who just think like you? No. 
It's for people who don't think like you. Is this card for people who, who act like you? No, it's for people who don't act like you. Listen, this card is for everyone. That's God's hope. That the message that's on the scroll, the message of hope, the message of redemption, that we be taken to the world. Keep that in mind. I want to tell you something else about the mission. Because we believe that the Lord's mission includes every people and every language, we feel compelled to be a part of what God's doing in the world right now. So we've started something we're calling the, the I'm sorry, I'm talking fast, the Ukrainian Relief Fund. Ukrainian Relief Fund. And listen, this is a way that we're going to take offerings from the church and we're going to pass every dollar along to the people of Ukraine. We're partnering with two organizations. The first is World Vision. World Vision is in Ukraine right now, and they're supporting refugees through essential aid. On the other hand, we are supporting Samaritan's Purse. Many of you are familiar with Samaritan's Purse. And Samaritan's Purse is providing emergency medical need in Ukraine right now. So we're going to split everything that you give, everything that our church family brings in through the Ukrainian Relief Fund. We're going to split it down the middle 50-50 and give half to the emergency uh, medical care that Samaritan's Purse is doing. On the other hand, we're going to give 50% to, to what World Vision is doing to provide essential aid to refugees. Would you give to this and give generously? You can give through our website. There's a link behind me on the screens or on the side of the screens, ccgf.org.ukraine. I gave my donation last night. I'd encourage you to give yours, and we'll take that money because we believe that God is a God of power, and we see the hope of the coming kingdom that we want to support and encourage our Ukrainian brothers and sisters in sharing the gospel and the hope of the world through Jesus. I pray that you will give generously to this Ukrainian relief fund because it's a missional song, because we serve the Lamb. Okay, let me get down to, to verses 13 and 14 very quickly. Let me read the rest of this. Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. All the power belongs to Jesus. To receive wealth, all the wealth belongs to Jesus. To receive wisdom and strength and honor and glory, it all belongs to Jesus. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them. It's humans, it's animals, it's rocks. I mean, it's, is it vegetables? Everything that's created, everything that has breath, is praising Jesus eternally, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. I'll sum it up by saying this. It all belongs to Jesus. Jesus has it all. What are you looking for in life? Are you seeking peace right now? Are you looking for hope? Do you feel like you don't have whatever you need? Whatever it is you are looking for, listen, Jesus has it all. Would you put him on the center, in the center, on the throne of your life? Last verse, verse 14. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. They said, Amen. I love it. You know, in some churches, there are churches where people say, Amen. Evidently, not in this one, though. You know, I heard a story about a, a preacher who, on one particular Sunday morning, was really getting into it. 
and he was preaching and he said, listen, he said, if I could take all the beer in the world, I would dump it into the river. And the people said, amen. And then he said, if I could take all the wine in the world, I would dump it into the river. And the people said, amen. He said, if I could take all the rum and all the bourbon in the world, I would dump it in the river. And the people said, amen. And he finished his sermon and he went and sat down. And the worship leader came up and he said, well, today we're going to sing our closing song from the hymnal, page 126. We're going to sing together. We shall all drink from the river. <laughs> and the people said, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, there are churches where people actually say amen. You know, have you ever heard of the amen corner? My wife and I were part of a church in Memphis, and there was one guy who every week, at least three or four times, at a certain part of the service, when his southern voice would yell, amen, really loud. I loved it. And, and what people are saying when they say amen is this. Amen literally means, so let it be. You know, these, these four creatures, the mysterious four creatures of Revelation, they say amen. They're saying, so let it be. All that's in the scroll, the hope of the world, the Lamb who was slain, who has all the power and the wisdom, so let it be. He's in the center, so let it be. It's a way of emphasizing our agreement. That's why people say men in the church, not just being extra spiritual, they're affirming. They're emphasizing their agreement with what the Word of God says, what's being preached, so to speak. But not only that, amen is also an expression of a willingness to submit. When the four creatures say amen, they're saying, I will submit myself to this Lamb and to God's hope, and this revelation of the truth, and the kingdom come. That's what amen means. Let me ask you a question. As you consider Revelation 5, do you find your heart saying amen to the Lamb and the coming kingdom? You do. I like it. Do you find yourself saying amen? Let me tell you about a Ukrainian in closing. His name is Oleg. And Oleg is a man who's a business owner. He's also a church planter. And Oleg um, and his family had to flee a war zone in the city where they live called Bryanka. And when they left Bryanka, they left behind that home. They left behind their business. They even had to leave behind the church. So what does Oleg do when he has to flee everything that he knows and the people that he loves? Well, he brought out his golden bowls of incense, so to speak. He prayed. And as he prayed, God gave him a new song, put a new song in his heart. And he is planted in the midst of war. Oleg's planted, by God's grace, a new church. And that church is, is reaching out to families who are displaced by war. That church is in the face of war-torn life proclaiming the good news of Jesus. You know what Oleg has done? He has given his amen. His life is proclaiming amen. That I'm submitted to the Lamb. That my hope is in the one who's in the center of it all. Who has all the power and all the wisdom. Who's overcome it all. That's where his, that's where his hope is. That's where his confidence is. That's where his joy is, even in the midst of the war. Oleg says, amen. How about you? How about us? 
do we, in light of who God has revealed Jesus to be, in, in light of the coming kingdom, do we say, amen. Amen, Lord. Jesus is the center of it all. He has all the power. He has, he has all the wisdom. He's overcome it all. He has it all. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this great hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that like Oleg and others in Ukraine, that we would, in our hearts, with our mouths, with our actions, say amen to the great hope of Jesus Christ, the one who's at the center of it all, the one who has all the wisdom and the power, the one who is slain, yet stands and has overcome it all. I pray, Lord, that we would say amen. I pray, Lord, that might look like we would pray this week, be committed to praying. I pray, Lord, that it would look like us giving charitably to this Ukrainian relief fund, that we would say amen. I pray, Lord, that if someone doesn't have faith today, that they would in their hearts say to you, amen. I need the lamb to purchase my life. I need what he has offered to us through his death on the cross and his resurrection, the hope of glory. Yes, Lord, amen. I pray, Lord, that there would be many amens that come out of the hearing of Revelation 5 and that we would have this great hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for him. We worship you, God. We thank you for the Lamb who was slain, who stands, the Lion of Judah. And together we lift our voices and say, Amen.